0: Ezekiel chapter 30, and I promised Sister Judy I would uh, record these and get them on tonight so she could listen to them. She's in California with her grandbabies. Um, Her grandson is on staff at a church out there, associate pastor. He and his wife went to Israel, and she went to keep the grandbabies, uh, the great-grandchildren. So um, we... we I want to keep true to my word, Ezekiel chapter 30. Now I have to tell you, I want to be honest as we get into this study. This is one of the most difficult studies I've had in a long time for me personally. There are some things as we get in here, you'll see that there are different opinions and and different thoughts on it. Uh, I don't know that a portion of this that I can say dogmatically, this is exactly what it is and this is exactly how it's going to happen. But um, this is the best of my understanding. I prayed and I studied um, and to try to, to, to get the meaning of the text and be true to the Word of God. And so <clears throat> we're right in the midst of Ezekiel receiving the prophecy from God concerning Egypt. And so God is speaking to Ezekiel and He is telling him, this is what I want you to tell Egypt. Now, as we begin this prophecy tonight... This is one of the very few that are not dated. There's not a date given. And so, does that play into this and some of the confusion surrounding this? I I cannot say. But at any rate, this is an important passage and, and I want to do the very best I can and I hope that it is clear and that we get understanding. Verse 1 of chapter 30, The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Verse 2, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord God. How ye woe worth the day. Now this is kind of a a, a lament. How and uh, just lament over this day. Now he says the day. The day is a specific day. He has a day in mind. How do I know that? Look at verse 3. For the day. There it is again. The day is near, even... The day of the Lord is near, a cloudy day. It shall be the time of the heathen. Now, this specific day he's talking about is referred to as the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is used in one form or another 75 times in the Old Testament. The day of the Lord encompasses the period of time that begins immediately following the rapture that goes through the tribulation period It covers the second coming of Christ, it covers the millennium, and into the day when the new heaven and the new earth come down. That is that whole period of time that he is talking about when he talks about the day of the Lord. And and the idea of the day of the Lord is judgment. Judgment is clearly seen in all these passages. We could go to Isaiah, we could go to Joel, we could go to Amos, we could go to Zephaniah, we could go to many of the different... Uh, minor prophets or and some major prophets and see that this is referring to or most specifically dealing with uh, judgment. It's judgment. Uh, as a matter of fact, if I may entreat you to go with me to Zephaniah and um, just go to uh, Zephaniah chapter number 1. And as you're turning there, this is right after Habakkuk. Um, how many of you have a favorite minor prophet? Mostly only preachers do. You go to the book of Zephaniah and you go to verse chapter 1 and verses 14 and 15 and you can see the link. It says, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day, which is the day of the Lord, is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, and so on and so forth. So the idea with the day of the Lord is judgment. Now you and I know that when we are raptured out, that pardon this expression, but all hell is going to break loose on the earth. It's going to be a time as there never was, and a time as there never will be again like it, and and ultimately God is going to pour out His wrath on not only Israel but around these com- these countries and nations who rejected who rejected Him, and God's going to deal with them in the most bitter way. Now, if we would hold our place there and go to Second Peter, we'll come to the New Testament and get a reference here for Second Peter chapter three. And you're familiar perhaps with this passage. In verse 10 it says this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So <clears throat> again, the day of the Lord has to do with judgment. Judgment. Why do I believe that it starts immediately following the rapture? Because it comes as a thief in the night. There are signs, according to Bible, there are signs that point to the second coming of Christ. Now, the rapture and the second coming are not the same event. The rapture, there are no signs. It's imminent. It means it can happen at any moment. After, immediately after the rapture f- happens, there's seven years of tribulation. Halfway through that seven years, three and one half years, uh, it turns and it becomes the great tribulation. The last three and one and a half years are, I mean, it's horrible. It's There's a covenant made at the beginning with Israel. Halfway through, the man of sin breaks that covenant and unleashes fury. And God allows this judgment to take place and go on. When the phrase comes, thief in the night, if there are signs pointing to the second coming and we know the tribulation period is only seven years, then how could it come as a thief in the night? It comes in a thief in the knife because, night because the rapture is a signless event. There are no signs that point to the rapture. And so when the rapture happens, and it comes like a thief in the night, First Thessalonians chapter 5 and 2, another reference to the thief in the night, then it all comes apart. The whole earth comes unglued. So the day of the Lord comes immediately following the rapture of the church, followed by the tribulation period, second coming of Christ, millennial reign, you know all throughout prophecy, of course, and then the new heavens and the new earth. He also says it is a time of the heathen. In other words, it's a time of doom for the nations. Heathen often means Gentile nations, other nations not pertaining to the Jews. So we're back in Ezekiel now. Now you know the day of the Lord is near. Almost all of the prophets who wrote about the day of the Lord, one reference or another... They refer to the day of the Lord as being near. Now remember in the New Testament, they were accusing, said, um, you know, some say, they've been saying since the beginning of time that the Lord's going to come back and we haven't seen Him. Where is He? And Peter says, the Lord's not slack concerning His promise. But He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. So these prophets saw... That the day of the Lord was near. And I mean, just thinking about it, just hype, just for practicality, uh, today we're one day closer than we were yesterday, right? I mean, I mean, that just goes without saying. But all of the prophets that wrote, they talk about the nearness of this time. The nearness. And I, I really believe that we are getting closer. I, I think if you understand and read prophecy and you see in the Scriptures all that in the last days that the Bible says, you can clearly see it functioning, happening right now. And So he says, The day of the Lord is near. Now look at verse 4. And the sword shall come up on Egypt, and great pain shall be in Ethiopia, when the slain shall fall in Egypt, and they shall take away her multitude and her foundations shall be broken down. He's describing what's going to happen in this day. Verse five. Ethiopia and Libya and Lydia and all the mingled people and the chub and the men of the land that is in the league shall fall with them by the sword. He references these nations because these nations will form a league. And there, and I'll be honest with you, nobody, I don't know what Chubb is. Uh, some think that it's an unidentified place. Nobody really knows. So without certainty, I mean, we, we can't say with certainty it's this, that, or the other where it's at. But he's talking about all these nations and the mixed of the nations and that all they're in this league, in this pact, they'll fall by the sword. Look at verse six. Thus saith the Lord, they also they also that uphold Egypt shall fall and the pride of her power shall come down and the tower of Syene shall fall in it by the sword, saith the Lord God. And so this is going to be an unprecedented time of judgment where God unleashes his judgment upon Egypt and on these nations. Verse 7. And they shall be desolate in the midst of the countries that are desolate, and her cities shall be in the midst of the cities that are wasted. According to this, there'll be cities and countries, they'll all be desolate. It'll be completely desolate in that area. Cities and countries surrounding. Verse 8, And they shall know that I am the Lord when I have set a fire in Egypt, and when all of her helpers shall be destroyed. Helpers, so that the, the, the king of Egypt went and made alliances trying hopefully to protect themselves and made these alliances with men, and all those alliances were no good. Now verse 9, notice the reference. In that day shall messengers go forth from me in ships to make the careless Ethiopians afraid, and great pain shall come up on them as in the day of Egypt, for lo, it cometh. Now, he has just laid out for us, this coming judgment on the nation of Egypt. And we get to verse 10 and something happens. Something's going to change. Something's going to take place. And this is where the confusion comes in. Let me read verse 10 and then I'll try to explain how all this is coming about. Verse 10, Thus saith the Lord God, I will also make the multitude of Egypt to cease by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So here's the thing. There are a couple of different options on this. Because we know actually in 587 B.C. that King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon did in fact invade, invade Egypt. However, what he just explained, he was talking about prior to verse 10, he was talking about the day of the Lord. Now some people say because he switches gears and starts talking about King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, that number one, it is possible that he is using the reference, the day of the Lord, just talking in a general form about judgment. That's one option. Option number two is that uh, some people believe, if you know Bible prophecy, you know in the book of the Revelation you start getting in there and in the last days of tribulation, there'll be a religious Babylon, a commercial Babylon. And some people think that this is a picture of the uh, man of sin and his Babylonian system that will happen in the last days. That's option number two. Option number three... Uh, is what I've studied and what I've come up with and I can't find anybody else saying. So this is my opinion. I can't say with certainty. This is fact. Okay. So please hear me out. Look at verse 10. Every word matters. Notice this word. Thus saith the Lord God, I will also, also make the multitude of Egypt to cease by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Who in here knows what also means? If you look up also in the English dictionary, you will find out that also means in addition. So what he has just described about the day of the Lord, he then says this, Thus saith the Lord God, I will in addition make the multitude of Egypt to cease by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon. Could it be that God has just thrown out and shown about the day of the Lord and then He is going to illustrate it and picture it with the actual uh, conquest of Nebuchadnezzar in the land of Egypt that happens just in a few short years? Could that be a foreshadow of what's going to come in the great day? I don't know. There's one of those three options. But it seems to me that when he says, in addition, he's talking about this that's going to happen, I'm going to wipe it out. And even in this uh, Babylonian uh, overtake, an overthrow, it wasn't to the degree of the first nine verses laid out. All those countries and cities were not completely wiped out and the whole place was not completely desolate and the whole place didn't know that he was the Lord. So could it be that these are two events that's going to happen and that God doesn't put a timetable on the first part of this prophecy, but latter, in the latter part here in just a few moments, you'll see He puts a time on the prof- the second prophecy. So could the second prophecy be a foreshadow of all the bad that that's going to come, but it's going to be some more severe in the day of the Lord? I don't know. And I will tell you, honestly, I don't know. I can bring to you commentaries who say, I believe in the first option. I can stack up commentaries here that says, I believe in the second option. And I I tell you, I I can't say with certainty, and I hope that um, you understand, this is why it was such a struggle to try to figure all this out. Look at verse 11. Now he's going to talk about this Babylonian uh, Nebuchadnezzar that comes in And takes over, verse 11, He and his people with him, the terrible of the nations, shall be brought to destroy the land, and they shall draw their swords against Egypt, and fill the land with the slain. And I will make the rivers to dry, and sell the land into the hand of the wicked, and I will make the the land waste, and all that is therein by the hand of strangers. I, the Lord, have spoken it. Thus saith the Lord God, I will destroy the idols, and will cause their images to cease out of Noth. And there shall be no more prince in the land of Egypt, and I will put a fear in the land of Egypt. And I will make Pathros desolate. Remember last week when he sent them up to Pathros? He said, they will go up there in this little no-name small village. I'll make it desolate, and I will set in fire Zoan, and will execute judgments in No, and I will pour out my fury upon sin. Now, that sin is not S-I-N sin like you uh, transgress against God. That's an actual place. The strength of Egypt. And I will cut off the multitude of no. And I will set fire in Egypt. Sin shall have great pain. And no shall be rent asunder. And Noph shall have distresses daily. The young men of Avon and Pibeseth shall fall by the sword. And these cities shall go into captivity. At Tehaphenes. Also the day shall be darkened when I shall break there the yokes of Egypt and the pomp of her strength shall cease in her. As for her clouds shall cover her and her daughters shall go into captivity. This will I execute judgments in Egypt and they shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 20, And it came to pass, in the eleventh year, in the first month, in the seventh day of the month, that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying... This is three months before the fall. Three months. Notice this. First 19 verses, he did not give a date. The first nine verses, he didn't give a date on that prophecy. Now he gives a date. Verse 20. Look at verse 21. Son of man... Oh, by the way, it's April of 587. Son of man, I have broken... The arm of Pharaoh. Who was the Pharaoh? Hophra. We talked about him last week. King of Egypt. What's his arm? He was broken his arm. His army. His strong arm. His army. He's broken. And lo, it shall not be bound up to be healed, to put a roller to bind it, to make it strong to hold the sword. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, what, what I would like for you to see is, in this passage, God is making it clear that He is against Egypt, and He had prophesied to Ezekiel, and He told Ezekiel that Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and do my judgment for me. I am against Egypt, and that He is going to use Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to punish The nation, the Egyptians. Why? Because they were a proud nation. They were a nation that rejected God. They were a nation that hated Israel from all the way back to the time that they left, um, and they lost all that army in the Red Sea. They hated Israel. And I will break his arms, the strong that was, which was broken, and I will cause the sword to fall out of his hand, and I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and I will disperse them through the countries. And I will strengthen the armies of the king of Babylon. God's using an evil nation. He's strengthening them to use them to punish Egypt. And put my sword in his hand, but I will break Pharaoh's arms, and he shall groan before him with the groanings of a deadly wounded man. But I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon and the arms of Pharaoh shall fall down and they shall know that I am the Lord when I shall put my sword into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall stretch it out upon the land of Egypt and I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them out among the countries and they shall know that I am the Lord. So we have this, this, this big, big prophecy. And there seemingly is two elements to this prophecy. One being the first part of this passage where God reveals to him that in the day, of the, the day of the Lord, when that day comes, three references to it. Why do I believe that there are two prophecies here concerning the same nation? One is more of a, a little, little small that happened to the immediate people that were living there. But one will be a great... Great, great judgment in the day of the Lord. Well, I think there are two judgments. Number one, because the day of the Lord in all the other scriptures in the Bible refer to the actual time of the day of the Lord. It refers to the same time period. Always. This would be a reference out of place if it were just, if it were just for, uh, you know, a kind of a general warning of judgment. Number two, Egypt is not yet desolate. Egypt and all the surrounding countries are not yet desolate. So there could be two prophecies here. There could be one that happened when Nebuchadnezzar came in in 580 B.C. 587 B.C., excuse me. And then the first portion, the first nine verses refer to the day of the Lord, which is the coming judgment that will come later. When everything is made desolate. Number three... That region does not know who the Lord is. They reject the Lord. They're heavily under the Arab control, uh, Muslims, and, 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 um, and I'm not, uh, trying to, I'm not being critical of Muslims. I'm just telling you, they're, they're, they're under that, that control. Number four. All of the League of Nations has not been destroyed yet. All these little countries, Ethiopia, all are still there. They haven't been destroyed yet. So, can I definitely say that there's two prophecies here and that verses 1 through 9 refer to the day of the Lord, the actual event after the rapture and during that period? Can I say definitively that it's not... No, I can't. But it seems to me that's what he's talking about. And um, I, I think that... I think there was a real Babylon, and we could see that there was a real attack, but it wasn't to the severity of the Scripture, and I believe the Scripture. And so I believe that he begins by telling this is the day of the Lord. But this is smaller judgments going to happen, and this is just going to be a little foreshadow of what's coming. And if that be the case, I think of our nation, and I think of all the other nations, And I think of how the people that do not know the Lord and the day of the Lord's coming, that ought to be a somber thought for us. That ought to motivate us to want to get the gospel out. That ought to motivate us to want to love people and to share the gospel with them and to see them come to faith in Christ. It ought to inspire us to support world missions and support missionaries who primarily function in world missions with the the purpose of spreading the gospel. It's a scary thing, the wrath of God. And anyone that doesn't believe the wrath of God hasn't read the Bible. I remember when Jesus was in the garden and He was praying. And He was praying and He sweat great drops of blood. Jesus was not worried what man would do to him. How do I know that? Because he told the disciples, don't fear what man can do to you. Fear the one who can damn your soul to hell. And so Jesus was going to take the wrath of God, the bitter cup, the cup of dregs. He was going to drink that bitter cup, which was the wrath of God. And Jesus, knowing that he is taking the wrath of God for us, in that moment when he prays, let this cup pass by me, and he's, draw, he's sweating great drops of blood, he is in fact concerned about the wrath of God. Now I submit to you, if Jesus Christ was concerned over the wrath of God, shouldn't we equally be concerned about the wrath of God? Shouldn't we... Uh, as believers, pray for these nations and do all that we can. And you say we're just a little church in in, in in Portsmouth, Ohio. What can we do? We can do whatever God will do through us. We can do all things that are possible. Just as Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon pictures this greater judgment that's coming, it's imperative. It's imperative that we get the gospel out even though this judgment pertains to Egypt. I know it pertains to Egypt. But the Scriptures tell us in the New Testament, all the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our admonition, for our example, so that we don't have to go through the same things they went through. God would use and will use another Nebuchadnezzar in the tribulation period, the man of sin—he will use him. Uh, he will come in. He will be winsome. He will be charismatic. At the beginning, he'll make a covenant with the nation of Israel. Halfway through the covenant, or halfway through the covenant years, he will break that covenant. He will set up his throne in Jerusalem and demand to be worshipped. Anyone that doesn't take the mark of the beast will be killed. Instantly, And God will allow, listen to this, God will allow the man of sin to pour out his wrath in the day of the Lord. Just as He allowed Nebuchadnezzar to exact judgment upon Egypt in 587 B.C., God will allow that another Nebuchadnezzar coming in the day of the Lord, yet future, to ultimately destroy those nations that are proud. Nations that refuse to humble themselves and turn to Him. Nations who reject the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. May it ever be our prayer that the gospel will go to these nations and that men and women would be saved. You know, we've kind of Americanized the gospel, haven't we? I'm told that, I don't know this to be a fact, but some, uh, some missionaries in other countries, some churches in other countries that operate under the, <clears throat> under the underground, if you will, they don't want American missionaries to come over because they think it will spoil their Christianity. And some have said that America is one of the ripest mission fields as of today. There are thousands of people as we speak being saved in China. It's a great revival. You can get online and read about it. Several other nations, people are coming to faith in Christ. One of our missionaries, this is going out on the interwebs, I won't say, one of our missionaries who goes into the Middle East and people are being saved around the world see that's the remedy to the day of the Lord faith in Jesus Christ and God's judgment is real and it will come upon those who reject the free offer of eternal salvation my prayer is that we can reach as many people as we can because it will certainly be worth the ones we reach.